You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Well, we're ready for episode 7 of our series, Renewing the Mind. Isaiah 55, 6 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now that's a very, very important passage. In fact, I would encourage you to write that down, mark it in your Bible. Uh, That's actually verse 8. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now listen to what it says. That your unrighteousness is because of your thinking. And you have to learn to change your thinking. Well, God does not ask you to do that on your own. He gives you the power to think like He thinks. And the way that He does that is He has revealed to you His Word. Now, when God gives you an idea, He always gives a two-sided precept. And I said this yesterday, very important. What is a two-sided precept? There is a do then there is a don't. God never creates a vacuum. Very, very important. I use that principle in raising my children. When I told my kids they could not go to a certain party because I didn't like where they were going, I didn't trust maybe the hosts of the party or the parents involved, I always gave them an alternative. We gave kids an alternative at our home. We were always doing something. We had great things. Our kids thought our house was the best place on earth. And so and so did all their friends. So we gave our kids an alternative to those things that are out there uh, so that they would not be tempted by them. That doesn't mean they were never tempted by them, but there was always something to fall back on. So God gives a two-sided precept. If you are trying to resist temptation with a vacuum in your soul, and not in your heart, but in your soul, in your mind, there's nothing there to fill that space, uh, then this is going to trip you up. This is what I saw as a pastor dealing with teenagers in youth ministry. The reason so many Christian teenagers out of the church had such a hard time walking with God is all the church did was teach them the don'ts. You don't do this, you don't do that. You can't go to a football game. You cannot go to a dance. You don't go to movies. You don't do this, you don't do that. They never gave kids an alternative. They expected kids at age 16, 17 to behave like 80-year-olds, and they didn't give them any, any possibilities of doing something more, not realizing they're fighting against the essential nature of humans. This is what Jesus said. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife, and the two of them shall become one flesh. The teenage years are the process of young people leaving the home. Now, the leaving doesn't take place overnight. It is a slow, steady process. They're not ready to do it in one stroke. They need to do it over a period of time. They are looking for friends, influences, engagement, conversation, interaction with people outside of their own homes. 
And very often, older people, especially parents, forget what it was like to be a teenager. I remember there were parents in, in, in when I was a teenager who absolutely hated it that we had long hair. But if you go back and you look at their pictures from the late 40s and into the 50s, they had their particular hairstyles, the way they wore their shirts, totally different. Their parents gave them a fit uh, about the way that they looked. And they forgot that. I always tried to remember what it was like being a teenager when I dealt with my own teenagers. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that I had no restrictions, but I always tried to consider that for every don't, there has to be a do. And this is what God reveals about himself in the scriptures. There's always a do. Now, let me show you the power of this. After Adam sinned, and after he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 3.22 is God's reaction. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Ever, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. He placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God did not want Adam to go back in and eat the fruit of the tree of life because he would have lived forever in his sin. Now I said that yesterday. One thing I did not say is had Adam eaten the fruit of the tree of life, he would never have needed to make that decision again. It would have been made for him. In other words, the temptation to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not going to be a temptation for Adam every day of his existence. He would only be tempted by that once. It was God's way of bringing man into the middle of the garden saying, pick your tree choose the tree of life. Not only choose the tree of life, all the other trees. In fact, what God was showing man is if all the other trees that you eat have fruit that is good and wholesome, then eat this fruit also because this will be good for you. You, you will see it. God gave them all kinds of little things. And so we like to think, the devil wants to make us think, that God's ways are highly restrictive. Actually, that's not the case. There was only one tree that was forbidden, only one. If you want to talk about restrictions, you look at the enemy and the kingdom of darkness. He's the one who does not tolerate any dissent. His people do not tolerate any d d division or any difference. They want you to march lockstep with them. They are very, very rigid. And so what I want you to see is that God has a place for us to walk that is liberating that in, allows us to enjoy great things. Listen to Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Now that means that you are blessed with loads of things and he adds no sorrow with it. God's way of getting things does not demand that you destroy your soul. Now the scripture teaches just the opposite of this in the book of First Timothy. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So 
The love of money is not the way you come to great blessings. doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have money. He doesn't want you to pursue money first. He wants you to pursue something else. Listen, Nahum 1.7, and if you don't get anything else in this whole series, memorize this verse. Nahum is not a book you read all the time. He's one of the 12 minor prophets in the last part of the Old Testament. But Nahum said this, and it's a, a scripture worth writing down and keeping in front of you. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. So what is a person? Who is the person that puts trust in God? The person who puts trust in God is the one who accepts God's thinking above his own thinking. Let me give you an illustration of trust. Years ago, when I first started working, I hauled hay, and I looked back on that, and it was a tough, tough job, but I thank God for every day that I spent in the hay fields. I never thought I would say that, but it was a great teacher to me. One of the things that I had to learn was that when we backed a truck up to a haystack, it was important not to push the stack over. It was important not to get into it too tight. There needed to be just a tiny little space, not enough for a bale of hay to fall through, but maybe a few inches between the back of our truck and the haystack we're going to be filling. Now, there would be someone at the back of the truck, and this is the habit that we had. We did not do this. If we did this, it meant there's a long way before you get to the back. But when you got close, this is how we gave directions. We held out our hands, and as the space became smaller and smaller, we put our hands closer together. Now, there were times when I was looking in that rearview mirror, backing up that truck, I thought, oh my goodness, is he going to let me knock that truck over? Well, I couldn't tell from my perspective how close I was, so I had to trust the guy who was at the back of the truck. I saw a stunt one time in a movie where a guy knocked over another guy riding a horse down a street and hits this other horse in the side and knocks the guy over. Now, my dad was a professional rodeo cowboy, and one of the things he taught me about horses is horses do not want to run into you. Uh, they will try to avoid you. He said, bulls, they'll try to do anything they can to step on you. They want to hurt you. Horses don't like stepping on anything soft. Uh, they want firm footing. That's why they try to avoid humans. So when I saw that horse hit that other horse, I thought, you know, just knowing the nature of horses, there's no way that a normal horse without extra special training would ever have hit that other horse in the side. Well, later on, they put out a little video about the making of that movie, and they showed that the horse that was charging down the street that made the hit didn't even get close to the other horse, but you couldn't tell it, because the view was through the horse that was being knocked down. You couldn't actually see the space. It's like a fist fight when a guy swings and the other guy jerks his head back. And if you could see from the right angle, you would see that the fist is maybe three, four, six inches away from the guy who got hit. 
but combined with the reaction of the actor and the sound effect, you, you swore he got hit. Well, they showed that the guy who was sitting in the street on the horse that got knocked over was a fall horse. They are especially trained to fall down whenever they are pulled on the left side of their faces. And, that, and uh, I suppose some could be pulled to the right, but most of the time they're pulling on the left side and the horse falls over on his right side. And the horse is trained like that. There will even be a cutaway saddle, meaning that the person who is riding on the horse does not have his feet locked into the stirrups. The stirrups will have a cutaway on both sides so he can get his feet out in case the horse jumps up and he doesn't drag the guy in the ground. That would really get somebody hurt. So that's how this was done. At just the right moment, the guy on the horse pulls and the fall horse goes over. You create a loud thud and it makes it look like he got knocked down. He really didn't. That's trust. Trust is recognizing that someone else has a superior point of view than you. There are times when I say, God, I don't see this right now, but you see all things. This is against my feeling. It's against my inclination, but I will do what you say because I trust you, because I know you always have the superior perspective. That's what it means to trust God's thoughts more than your own. I'll see you tomorrow. I want to thank you for watching our podcast today. And if you really liked it, would you please give us a little thumbs up by clicking on that sign down below. And then I would encourage you to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any of our future podcasts because they're all going to be good. And if you would like to support us financially, either with a one-time gift or recurring gift, you can do that by clicking on the link below or going to myfaithroots.com. Thank you so much for watching this program. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.